Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Well, it's public knowledge that I did not like Anthony going into Blackish. Um, we had an incident that did not land well when we hosted an award show <laughs> together. Um, and I had an idea of who Anthony was, and I used to describe him as covered in shards of glass with a soft center, but you know, if he cuts you, <laughs> Don't tell him because you will then get obliterated. But I have watched Anthony grow as a man and as a human being through the eight years. Tracy Ellis Ross quickly became Anthony Anderson's first choice to play his wife, Dr. Rainbow Johnson, on ABC's Blackish. But they long since moved on from their awkward days before the show and now sport a lasting bond that will continue long after the end of the series. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Blackish stars Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross about the legacy of Blackish, how the show ended, and whether they hope to revisit Dre and Bo one day. After that, we chat with Dr. Death star Joshua Jackson about his Peacock series. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Blackish ended its eight season run earlier this spring by going back to the beginning. Literally. The opening to the ABC comedy series finale began much in the same way the pilot did in 2014, with Andre Johnson, played by Anthony Anderson, waking up to his iPhone alarm clock next to his wife, Dr. Rainbow Johnson, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, and narrating a bit about his state of mind. Even the opening strains of Kanye West's Jesus Walks opened the finale just as it did the series premiere all those years ago. But this time, with Dre's reunited parents, played by Lawrence Fishburne and Jennifer Lewis, moving out, the boxes in their driveway has the neighborhood wondering if the entire Johnson family is departing. When nosy neighbor Janine, played by Nicole Sullivan, stops by and asks if their house is really for sale, Dre and Bo start to wonder if it really is time to move on. The couple decides to sell their Sherman Oaks home and move to a black neighborhood. The Johnson kids are skeptical at first, but that's not all. In making a change, Dre also decides to leave Stevens and Lido and spend more time at home. Later, as Bo and Dre walk through the empty rooms of their old house, they too feel a bit of unfinished business. I watched Junior not be able to touch those countertops, and now he's taller than me. And yes, I can admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I keep telling myself, these are just four walls, babe, but it... It feels so much bigger than that. It's because it was our home. You made a family here. Yeah. We spent our lives here. I mean, good and bad. <laughs> Laughter, heartbreak, births, a lot of births, <laughs> deaths. We did it together, right here. Yeah. You know, that magic we felt the first time we walked in this house together, I still feel today. So do I. And we keep telling each other 
not to be afraid to fall because we have each other's back. I'm so proud to say I did this with you, Dr. Rainbow Johnson. I would take a leap with you anywhere, anytime, any place. Husband of Dr. Rainbow Johnson. <laughs> Blackish produced 175 episodes, and during that time, the show's kids grew up. The outside world changed dramatically, all explored on the show, from Black Lives Matter to COVID-19, and television itself experienced a revolution. On the awards front, the show's accolades included AFI's top shows list, a Peabody, multiple NAACP image honors, a TV Critics Association Award for Comedy, and countless Emmy nominations, including four for Best Comedy, and numerous Emmy nods for both leads Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross. The show won an Emmy in 2020 for contemporary hairstyling for the standout episode Hair Day. But the real legacy of Blackish is in its storytelling. I got Anderson and Ross together to have some fun and also reminisce about this very special show. There's a reason why I waited to finally, and I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while, but I wanted to get you two together because it's going to be so rare now as the show has ended to see you two in the same place at the same time because you're both very busy individuals. So and selfishly, I prefer it. <laughs> I get to hang with Anthony, and you're right. Like we don't, we're not at work every day anymore together. So yeah. Now, granted, and, we're and, and, and now that Blackish is over, the restraining order has been canceled. So Tracy and I can actually hang out now. Right. Yeah, we we kept it really, you know, focused on work. You know, now now we can fraternize. Unfortunately, we're still all in separate boxes. It is still a Zoom age. We'll, we'll take what we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hi, Michael. Let's do it. What do we got? Yeah. So when was the last time the two, we'll just jump right in. I'm kind of curious, the last time the two of you saw each other in person, have you had a chance to sort of meet up uh, post finale or, or what's? No, what's but if you're on? home, Anthony, we can go to dinner. I had said we should figure out how, Anthony and I have never been to dinner one-on-one. Never. Let's do it. Let's figure it out. Yeah, we've never been to dinner. We've never been to lunch. We have never been to each other's respective homes. We know the square. Um, And so when we finally wrap up, the last time we were together, was that when we were in D.C.? Was yeah. DC, I think D.C. was the last time we were together at the uh, Smithsonian for our, our yeah. finale event. That was good. Big, big finale. Uh, you guys have never had like a meal on your own? Is it always with like reps and other people? And Not with reps, but usually it's around blackish. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've eaten out of Anthony's plate at work more than time <laughs> to remember. You know, and, and honestly, never really had the time to do so. You know, working 12, 14 hour days, Monday through Friday, you know, on the weekends, we're just trying to recuperate. Um, that's funny, Anthony. No, on the weekends, you and I are both working. Oh, well, that's true too. Uh-huh. You know, and, and given the fact that for the first two seasons of Blackish, I literally only had two days off per calendar year. Out of 120 shoot days, I had two days off of work for the first two years. And I think the third year I had four days off out of 120 days. So, you know, that that time was really spent, you know, when I wasn't working on the weekends, trying to find time to rest. So we never really had time to fraternize outside of work. We did all of our fraternization uh, on on stage four and five on, on the Disney lot. Yeah. And for example, Anthony and I wouldn't walk from our trailers to set until we walked together. So we would fraternize for the walk from trailer to set. <laughs> so That's those would be 
the the the, the catch up moments, the, uh-huh. the moments where you sort of tuned in with what you, each other were up to. What what were those moments like when it was just the two of you on set without the cameras rolling, without producers being around you? <laughs> well, we can't gossip about what we gossiped about. Anthony and and I had a great time. Anthony and I had the best working relationship. He and I both love to mess around and be silly between takes. Um, We are both slaves to the word action. So we could be sleeping or chit-chatting or on our phones. And as soon as action happens, we are in a scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of DMing back and forth while on set, like like literally standing next to each other and sending each other DMs of things we saw on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, hey, Tracy, that still didn't answer his question about what we gossiped about when we were alone. <laughs> Anthony and I both know what we gossiped about. <laughs> You're not ready to share just yet. Nope. No, it'll be in the book. <laughs> it'll be yeah, exactly. It'll yep. be in the respective books. Uh-huh. But we had a ball. That is for sure. Anthony and I had a lot of fun at work. And I will say that he and I both, I learned this first season. There are so many photographs from first season of Anthony and I sleeping, standing up, sleeping in our our chairs. I was curled up on the floor in in a gym at one point, whatever that episode was. Yeah. Uh, No, there was a lot of like in between sleeping, standing up, just like this is the glamorous part of doing a TV show that we never hear about. The the late nights, the the, the trying to steal away a nap when you can, uh-huh. the the working on the weekends. Yeah, it's, it sounds sounds delightful. Delightful. <laughs> it is. It's the best job in the world. But I mean, it really not a lot of people get to experience what you guys got to experience to be on a hit show for so long to to really make an impact to to really sort of grow into these characters and and have these kind of relationships and you know it all started with the two of you it's you know you are you know Dre and Bo that's gonna forever be a part of your lives uh, what uh, you've had a little bit of time to think about that now but you know how how when when you well, sort of think about God. it. Let's backtrack. It didn't all start with Dre and Bo. It started with Dre. Mm. And then Dre found his bow. Yes, this is true. Because the audition is such a good story. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to audition. We won't tell you all that story. But when I got there, there were so many other bows there. And Anthony and Kenya and Larry and Brian. Brian wasn't in the room, was he? Yeah, Brian was there. Brian was there. So it was this room of all of them. Um, and I came Valentine's in, Day. Valentine's Day. And I came in and it just, from that moment, there it was. And Anthony, after the audition, Anthony gave me a rose and I was just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he had a bag, a shopping bag of roses for all of them. Very thoughtful, very Anthony. Like The Bachelor? Yeah, like the bachelor. <laughs> he, walked out, he walked me out and then shouted to all the rest of the women, go home, we found her. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Sure did. So, yeah, I did. It, it began with Dre. He found his bow. And then at the center of that, I leave with so much joy and pride. I feel so proud of what we did. I'm so proud of the work that we did. I feel like we changed the landscape of modern primetime television. I don't know that there will be another opportunity for a half hour family comedy like this on a network. I don't I don't know if that day and age is done. But I, I think it's amazing what we 
able to accomplish on network without cursing, even though we did a nice handful of that, and and to combine a workplace comedy with a family comedy and make it seamless and to handle the material and um, subject matter that we did and also to be just pee your pants funny. Yeah. Yeah, Tracy, uh, speaking of, uh, it's not quite curtsy, but one of my favorite moments in the finale is when you're like, to Dre, let's burn this bitch down. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we could have burned it down and left it, but uh, I think what we did, we did drop the mic. I felt like we dropped yeah, the mic. Yeah, definitely yeah. dropped the mic. And I did love the sort of coming full circle, even using Jesus Walks again in the finale and, and Dre waking up with the alarm clock you know, just, just like in the, the, the pilot. So in some ways you were able to come full circle as the show sort of started its own new adventure that we won't be able to actually see, but we know they're out there somewhere doing it. So, okay. I want to hear from the two of you, Anthony, what was your, the thing that you learned about Tracy that surprised you, I guess, first, like what, what surprised you about Tracy when you got to know her? That Tracy is one of the guys. You know, you know, just in terms of um, humor, sensibility, and all of that. And that, you know, you can actually sit down, or I know I can sit down with, with Tracy and talk to her about anything and, and not have it be alarming, not being judged or whatnot, and, and can get an honest um, opinion from her. Uh, and, and that was refreshing. You know, given the fact that she's Tracy Ellis Ross, you know, had a huge successful show prior to Blackish and Girlfriends uh, and, and is a star in her own right. And just to be able to sit down and just talk to her like, you know, I don't want it to sound like you're like, yeah, hey, you sit down and talk to her like one of the boys. But, you know, I found it refreshing that, you know, I could have those type of conversations in the workplace and outside of the workplace with Tracy and, uh, and it be reciprocated. That's Tracy? such a good question. Well, it's public knowledge that I did not like Anthony going into Blackish. We had an incident that did not land well when we hosted an award show <laughs> together. Um, and I had an idea of who Anthony was. And I used to describe him as covered in shards of glass with a soft center. But, you know, if he cuts you, don't tell him because you will then get obliterated. But what I discovered is, and not only what I discovered, but Anthony also really, I have watched Anthony grow as a man and as a human being through the eight years. But I think it's not that it surprised me, but has been the biggest delight of our time together on Blackish is that Anthony and I have a really similar work ethic. Anthony is such a professional. Anthony knows everybody's name. Anthony makes work a fun and wonderful place to be that feels like home. And it's who he is. Anthony knows everybody's name. And it's not just he knows their name. He knows them. He has their phone number. They have his phone number. And so he taught me about creating a space at work that wasn't so foreign for me, but changed my experience and changed everybody's experience of Blackish. And, and then watching Anthony grow as a man and as a person, he and I developed just a really beautiful, respectful work relationship that I've never had 
And it allowed for the work that we did to feel what a safe environment. I felt like I could do anything, try anything. I was never going to fall. I wasn't going to let him fall. He wasn't going to let me fall. And like the best relationships in life, which I don't have a lot of experience with, Anthony and I were never crazy at the same time. <laughs> we, we were never like, we never seemed to necessarily be tired at the same time or like, you know, like where it was just a tough day or whatever. It was never at the same time. So we were able to balance each other out and support each other in a way that I think is part of what helped us create such incredible work. Yeah. Anthony, rebuttal? And there's no no rebuttal to that. You know, can't add anything to that other than, you know, it's it's the truth. You know, I would do anything for Tracy uh, on and offset to this day, uh, just because of the trust that uh, we've developed over uh, the past eight years. You know, she's one of the few people that can call me in the middle of the night and I will be there for her. I never have, by the way, but I do know that I would be able to call him if I needed him. So you save that for for a special occasion when when or a special that. occasion or or an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Tracy that you you talk about Anthony growing as a man. Also, when you go back and you watch the show and progression, you also just see Anthony's beard. Yeah, yeah. That, the, the growth of the beard, <laughs> the strong beard game that he now has. Yeah. And by the way, one of the best beards in the industry. I mean, we could talk about it for a while. It glistens, it's hydrated, it's soft, it's groomed. It's, it's a special, special beard. It's in its natural form right now. And even in its natural form, it is, you know, exceptional. But you can really chronicle time and the passage of time through the growth of the children and Anthony's facial hair. <laughs> Everyone, like the kids are obvious. It is the facial hair that really tells you, oh, this is season two. Exactly. Oh, wait, no, this is season four. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> My my beard gets its own credit now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Developed by. Speaking of the kids, I mean, as, as they grew up, I mean, what was sort of as as sort of their their TV parents? What was that like for the two of you to kind of you know like discuss where those kids were going and and you know how they progressed and you know they became you know such professionals in their own right. But but what was that like as for the two of you to be playing their TV parents? Well, Anthony and I had very different versions. Of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just say I got called into the principal's office a couple of times for how I parented my television children. Yeah, you, you were fun TV dad? Is uh, that... They were like, Anthony, these aren't your real kids, okay? You, you cannot can't... throw them across the room. You can't All throw right? them. Do not throw the children, Anthony. You they are not, they're not props. Their last names aren't Anderson, it's Johnson, and that's just their character's name. These are actually real human beings. My um, God, yeah. <laughs> but no, it was a great time. Look, I, I take pride in, in being able to say that I am their television father and, and for the most part spent more time with them than their, than their own fathers did just because of our work schedule. You know, I, I was there for birthdays, I was there you know, for, for proms. I was there for all. The, I was there to pluck out teeth when teeth were uh, were ready to come out. So oh, I, yeah, I, I got sure. to do everything uh, with, with these children that a father would do with, with their own children. And um, I, I take pride in that. I take pride in having a part in their growth uh, as artists and as human beings. Yeah. And, and you look at what they've grown into. It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yara graduated from Harvard yesterday. Yeah. 
you know? Right. Anthony also just got his degree, which is also incredibly exciting. I, I agree. You know, I, I took a lot, I felt very, I took my role as a TV mom very seriously. And it was really important to me that our environment was a safe one for them. Um, and that my focus and attention was on them as human beings, not on our show and on them as actors. Mm -hmm. and really clear to their parents from the beginning that I was available to them if something was not feeling right and they didn't know how to address it and also to the kids. And also they had great parents and they were great kids. So I don't, I think Anthony and I set a really special example, but it was really important to me that they weren't going to leave our show and in 10 years talk about the horror stories, which you hear all the time about how a childhood was stunted or it wasn't a safe environment and they didn't have any recourse to speak up for themselves or any agency in terms of that. And we had a ball. I mean, we had a ball at work. The kids were hilarious and they got to be kids. And then we watched them grow into these extraordinary, I mean, they started as talented and they only became more talented and they became seasoned professionals. And now we see them out in their own lives. I mean, sometimes I scroll through my Instagram feed. The other day I saw a picture of Marcus. I didn't even know who it was. I was like, who's yeah, a grown man? That's a grown man now. Like, what is that? I was like, what is going on? You know, and, and Marseille and Yara's graduating from, even Miles, like, have you seen his mustache? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. No, that, that's crazy. When Miles had that mustache uh, in the last few episodes, it's like, how? But now it's like, and it's as thick as Anthony's. <laughs> now he's continuing the, the growth. Yeah, no, but I'm so, I'm so proud of who they've become. And it's exciting to watch and see. Yeah, just as it, it was exciting to see the evolution of the, the relationship, the marriage between Dre and Bo. And, yeah. and, you know, the ups and downs and to have it end in such a strong place. But, you know, to really experience that, it does... That's one of the nice things about a show that does as many episodes as you guys did is it feels like they are real people. And it is hard to say goodbye to these characters because it does feel like we know them and we've been through like a lot with them, the highs and the lows. And, you know, and that that's just me as a viewer, as a fan for, for, for you two to have embodied these characters. It must be so surreal to be sort of saying farewell to them now and, and wondering I wonder what they're up to. And and maybe you'll have a chance to see one day when they show up on Grownish, you know, which I'm sure at some point, right? Like you guys have to. The the blackish universe continues. But you know, sort of what you know, it, what is it like to not, you know, be inhabiting these bodies, these these characters anymore as as much as you have the past eight years? You know, I, I think that's probably why I threw myself in into work mode right after uh right after Blackish, um, you know, for, to embody this character and be with this family for the past eight years, I didn't want to sit back just knowing how I am and, and, you know, sit in that wishing and wanting and thinking about, you know, how different it could have been if we just did a little bit more or whatnot, or like, I miss these guys. I wish I could go play with them and I wish we could go to work right now. So, I think that that is why I, I immediately went uh, into another gig uh, to, to help decompress in my own sort of way 
from that. You know, I found a new character to to develop that would would ease me out of uh, being Andre Johnson, and 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 I did that. Uh, but I often found myself sitting in between takes, whatnot. And he's like, "Oh, I wish I was back at Disney." Oh, Jeffrey Donovan is no Tracy Ellis Ross. Damn it! What do I miss? You know, I, I still found myself missing those those, those times and and the people that uh, that I work with, e- even to this day. You know, even you know, I look forward to you know sitting down and having Zoom calls and, and interviews like this because I'm reminded of how much I love that time and I love the people that were a part of that time with me. So that that that's what it's been like for me. Yeah. You know, I didn't dive into another character. I mean, I just finished a movie. Um, I don't think I smiled once in the movie, by the way, this character. I was like, wow, that's so different than Bo. Wow. Um, so opposite. But I have moments mostly of feeling like, where am I supposed to be? Like, because I we were in such a routine and such a good one. You know, even with the fatigue, it was just like going to work was a great place to go, you know? And yeah, yeah. we're tired at times, but like, you walk in and I mean, from Banner to, you know, our props guy to hair and makeup to Marilyn to Jens to, we knew everyone's personalities like so intimately. And so with all those years, I mean, same camera people say, you know, it's the same people and it was such a good family. So missing that energy of going somewhere that feels like home, um, away from home, you know, um, where you know everybody's rhythm and, and just all of it. Have you seen Candle's Baby, by the way? Did you see I that? have not. Oh my God. The cutest. Uh, Candle, our Anthony and I shared our onset costumer and she finally had got pregnant and had a baby since we, she had, couldn't finish the season with us, which was hard. But so, yeah, I miss our family, but I think because I have the end of girlfriends to compare, this just feels like the most beautiful end because we didn't have an end there. And this is, it just feels like we got to know we were ending. Yeah. Say goodbye, experience the end, just all of it. So it just, I feel so much gratitude. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned, there is an opportunity that I'm sure you both have thought about. Eventually you're, you're going to pop up and, and do a guest appearance, maybe on Grownish or, or, or something. Maybe. So there's know, an opportunity but... to revisit yeah. at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is or whatever there might be in 20 years we'll sit down for our reunion <laughs> oh wait, wait. Look, it'll be 70 what a thought oh it'll be it'll be sooner than 20 years for the reunion show probably gonna ha- get all the work done that you said i was gonna get done for season five i used to joke that anthony was gonna come back one of these seasons and like have his lips done and like major cheekbones and his eyebrows would be really arched <laughs> and the only thing we could say was like you look so rested <laughs> well, i'm curious if there's anything that burning question that you've never asked each other yeah, this this is getting deep. This is getting the, into the therapy area. But Anthony, is there something you've kind of always wanted to ask Tracy, but you've never had the chance? So now, why not do so it on a podcast? I feel like I've asked you everything. Yeah, it is. Uh, 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 Tracy, why don't you like fart jokes? It's a good um, question. Because that was the thing that started the whole thing, Michael. <laughs> he made he made a joke <laughs> on stage that I had farted and I hadn't. You know why, Anthony? Why? 
Because they embarrass me. Okay. <laughs> That's All right. Well, I I, now, now that I know, <laughs> and I've apologized before, I will take this time to apologize to you. Oh, stop it. For embarrassing you in front of millions of people. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think I have anything to ask Anthony. I think I swear I think I've asked him everything because I'm not afraid yeah. to ask a question, and he's not afraid to answer. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, you know, we you you spend intimate time with one another for eight eight years. You get to know them. You get to ask them whatever's on your mind. And yeah, and Tracy fine. and I have done that respectfully. Uh, and no, I don't have anything. I don't think I have I either. I was like searching my brain here and just kind of. Yeah. No, I've, I've asked. I think I've asked you everything. That's good. Though. Uh, oh, I, I got a question. Tracy, would you work with me again on another sitcom? Absolutely. In a heartbeat. All right. Anthony may have something. He won't tell us what it is, but he's 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 got something up his sleeves. You know, I do. I think, you know, I think Bo and Dre join the ranks of the best of TV couples. And I, I, I would, I would happily do it again. Yeah. So would I. Absolutely. That's the, that's, that's legacy right there. When, when the two of you look back now on, on sort of what you're proud of, you know, cause this is the time where we talk about sort of legacy of shows. So Tracy, when you think about what you're really proud of, of what Blackish accomplished, what you did, uh, what sort of immediately comes to mind? Well, I really hope that our show leaves a promise of what it is to see an American family that is black um, and that we are universally identifiable and that even with the specificity of certain experiences and that the universality of what it is to be an American family can be seen through many different faces. And I, I'm the proudest of the fact that we, the stories we told, I just, I just am blown away by what we were able to share and the truth of it and how identifiable it was across the board. My favorite thing in the world was hearing parents across the board come up to me and say, my 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 11-year-old, 14-year-old won't do anything with me, but I can, we watch Blackish together for 22 minutes and then I get 10 to 15 minutes of conversation afterwards. And it is a priceless time for me and my child. And that's the best of entertainment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anthony, how about you? Uh, everything that Tracy just said, I can't add any more than that. Um, when people walk up to me and tell me when they see our family on screen, they see their family. Uh, that is meaningful to me. But as, aside from, from work and, and what we've done on screen for 176 episodes, uh, the thing that I cherish the most is the friendships and the relationships that I've developed with uh, each and every one of my castmates. That is what I will take from the show, rather. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My my son reminds me so much of Junior. My wife and I talk about this a lot. Sometimes I'm like, what would Dre do? And then do I do that or do I do the opposite? You do the opposite. <laughs> do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, do the opposite. <laughs> well, Anthony and Tracy, so great to see the two of you. And it's been a pleasure over the years watching, covering the show, just having Blackish in our lives and, and having you two as 
Dre and Bo in our lives as well. So uh, congratulations and, and thanks again. And hopefully we'll, you know, we'll see you again uh, sometime, somewhere, somehow. Uh, I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much for this. Love. Yeah, thank you for your time today, Mike. That's Blackish stars Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross. Catch up on the entire ABC series now streaming on Hulu. After the break, Dr. Death star Joshua Jackson. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Joshua Jackson stars as Christopher Dunch, the neurosurgeon nicknamed Dr. Death in Peacock's limited series based on the Wondery podcast of the same name. And of course, the real-life former doctor's story. The real-life Dunch was convicted of and sentenced to life in prison for maiming a patient while also being accused of injuring almost three dozen other patients in less than two years in his career. Dr. Dunch. What? Dorothy Burke. She's unresponsive, can't palpitate, blood pressure's in the basement. Nurses have been trying to reach you all morning. Was it you? Sir? Cut the sir crap. Were you the one talking shit to DeLeon? About? about how long it took me to operate on Rose Keller. And how is Mrs. Keller, by the way? Have you checked in on her? Uh, she's doing well. How well? That's not the point. No, nurse. That is the point. You have no clue what it takes to do what I do. Yes, sir. So why don't you shut your mouth and do your job? Is my aura prepped for the Madeline Bayer surgery? Madeline Bayer surgery is elected. And she elected to do it today. Is my OR prepped? Let's push it off, focus That's on That's not what I asked. I understand what you asked. I don't asked. think that you it's do. It's not fully prepped, sir. Go prep my OR. The series, from showrunner Patrick McManus, showcases some of the botched surgeries the real-life Dunch performed, along with the case two other Texas-based doctors, played by Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater, tried to bring against him with the medical board. It doesn't shy away from the fact that he completed less than 10% of the usual surgeries required during residency, nor the fact that he was allowed to continue to operate even after causing irreparable harm to former patients. Friday's Emily Longaretta spoke with Joshua Jackson about playing Christopher Dunch and the nuances he wanted to bring to the role. They began by recounting what drew Jackson to the role in the first place. I was drawn to the role because it's a fantastic character and a fantastic story. And obviously, yeah, something very far outside of anything I've had the opportunity to do before. But right from, I joined the process late enough that all the scripts were already done. And obviously there was the podcast that pre-existed the show. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get a very good sense of the story and a decent sense of the man before signing on. And it is just, if it wasn't truth, you would never believe that this was possible. So that was the initial, you know, that was the thing that hooked me in. And then all the the intimidating fun of trying to figure out how to make that that monster into a man. Well, that's one of the things I was going to say. He's definitely is a monster, but 
he's also extremely intelligent and you found a way to tap into that. And I'd imagine that wasn't easy to find a human inside of that. Well, it certainly, I mean, I will admit in the very beginning, the first time I read the scripts, I think I read them more as an audience member than as an actor, because I did the thing that I think we all do when we are first confronted with the story, which is to first ask like, why? Why did this happen? And then how, how could this possibly happen? And what is wrong with this guy? Like, what was the, th- what's the piece that was broken? And then when I got into deeper conversations with Patrick about it and started to put on my actor's hat rather than my audience hat, and then got into the question of like, well, from his perspective, unless he's a psychopath, right? And we got through those conversations. I don't think that he was a psychopath. So when you leave that aside, then you get into the much more thornier questions of like, well, did he think he was the hero of his own story? Which I really believe he still does. I think he still believes that he was the, he is the actual victim of everything that happened around him and because of him. And that was, you know, a great unlocking for the character in the very beginning, because once you put aside the judgment or once I put aside the judgment of him, then I'm able to start doing my work, which is to figure out how to, how to take all the things that are factually correct and then take all the things that are inferred by his behavior and try to mash those all together into a human being that you can at least recognize, even if I hope to God you never come across somebody like that. Yeah, 100%. I, I recently talked to Patrick also about Girl from Plainville. So I, you know, obviously he's not on this true crime kick yeah. that, he's, that he's on. Two incredible shows with very dark stories. I'm curious Obviously for that, they worked a lot with the actual people involved. What was your thought on that with this project? Was that something you wanted to do? Like, did you want to talk to the people involved? I know you did a little bit, but I'm curious about that. A little. So I wasn't able to have contact with Dunch. And I did have a conversation with Patrick early on about whether that was a possibility. And ultimately, for a variety of different reasons, it was never it was never going to happen, let alone COVID. But even if it hadn't been for COVID because of where he is in his appeals process and being incarcerated and yada, yada, yada. Also, not the most flattering portrayal of his life. So probably wouldn't have been all that interested in being helpful. But at the end of the day, once we got through that, I think I realized before we started shooting that that he's actually he's not the best person to tell his own story, strangely, because in my opinion, he is so deeply invested in the fiction of himself as this, you know, white knight genius who has been you know, assailed on every side by people who misunderstood him or were out to get him, that I'm not sure you can ask a liar a direct question to try to get to the truth. So I wasn't, at the end of the day, I wasn't too upset that I didn't have access to him, but because of the podcast and because of the work that Patrick and the writers had done, I had access to like almost a terabyte of material to sort and sift through beforehand. So there was a lot of things around him and people around him and events of his life that were documented that I had access to. And that was, that was the resource that I leaned on more than having access to the man himself. Yeah, of course. Um, physically, you also went through a lot for this, right? Cause you had to drop weight for the younger, the yeah. younger parts. And then obviously later was a lot of prosthetic, but yeah. well, sure- I mean, I sort of met it halfway, right? Like, you know, I'm 43. So gaining weight is a hell of a lot easier than losing weight at this point yeah. in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so that part was much more enjoyable. But yeah, the the we we front-ended the skinny bit so that I could try to get as skinny as I can get. And then I sort of started to naturally put my own weight back on and then plus a little and then yeah, let the prosthetics take over for the 
the very big at the end. How how long were you in like makeup and prosthetics for toward the end when you guys were filming? I mean, the full dunch at the end was uh, eight hours. We got it down to. Yeah, it's a, it was intense. <laughs> it's a long time. It's a long um, time. What was what was your reaction when you watched the the scenes, the flashback scenes? Because I would assume it's a little daunting to see, like obviously the younger face being put on yourself. Well, they, I mean, it, the, that whole thing is just weird in general, right? <laughs> Where you're like, that's me, but that's not really me. <laughs> Though I gotta say, it's pretty seamless at this point. Yeah. But I also, you know, what I was really, what I really wanted to do in in that place, there's a there's sort of a, you know, there's a a youthful exuberance that is like in your limbs. And I wanted to make sure that Dunch at that age was kind of like a newborn deer, right? That he's a little bit gangly and all over the place. And the, you know, the face obviously helps, but more than anything, I was, I was concerned about the body language at that time that he sort of, he both, he grows up and gets stiffer and then heavier and weighted down by the world as he moves on. And that, that flashback was the opportunity for you to show like, the inflection point, right? At this point in his life, if it would have gone this way, maybe we'd be having a very different conversation about this guy, but the sequence of events happened in the way that they did. And this is where we end up. Yeah, for sure. I wanted, obviously, as we get into Emmy season, true crime in general is like, so this year, especially it's such at the top of, you know, a lot of contenders. I'm curious. And obviously Dr. Death is a big part of that. I'm curious what you think it is about the true crime genre and these kind of shows that people are so I mean, I hate to say attracted to, but fascinated by. Well, I think I think in normal times, there's a, always a morbid fascination with the darkness that we all hold inside of ourselves. And I think that's why true crime as fiction or as, as television has always had a, you know, a very dedicated, robust audience, because yeah. we're always curious about, I mean, there's a part of us that's like, gets to let that evil out in reading that story or watching that story and being like, okay, I'm, I've like cleared my conscience. I'm not that bad. Uh, but I think we're going through a very angsty time in, in life. I think obviously the pandemic has completely rewritten everybody's life. And now we're, you know, entering into the beginning of a possibly a global war phase and we're still in the throes of the pandemic and we don't really know what comes next. And I, I feel like in moments, you know, cultural, historical moments like that, you reach out for things like this because you feel so much angst and anxiety yourself that it's a way for you to help process that emotion. So I think that's probably why. And there's a lot of, you know, nefarious, shitty people out there. I mean, we've, <laughs> there's, you know, after Dr. Death came out, there's been what dope sick girl from Plainville we crashed which is not technically it's not a caper but it's still true crime I mean it, yeah. it's just there's there is I think we also there's a there's a like a sense of incredulousness of just like how are these people getting away with this like how am I going through my day-to-day -day, keeping my nose down like doing my thing trying to do things the right way and then I look over here and this yahoo is murdering somebody or you know, creating an opioid pandemic and doing it on purpose or, you know, bullshitting their way to a $45 billion company that they run into the ground in two years. I mean, it is, it's a head spinning time to be alive. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. In this industry, obviously we see, like I said before, you've done a lot of lighter content as you got older, got a bit heavier. Is that intentional? For you, is it something that that's a conscious choice? Because I like, are you more drawn to the projects now that do start those conversations rather than say, 
a Disney show about a hockey team. Because I would assume <laughs> it's a little different. Well, I mean, I assume at this age and you're this part of your life. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to hire me as a sweet 13-year-old anymore. <laughs> so I, I think the door is kind of closed on some of those things. You know but, that's not what I meant. But <laughs> I think, well, you know, like, I, I think... I mean, in specific to the Mighty Ducks, I think it's great that they're doing that again. And I, there was certainly conversations around coming back and 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 being a part of that, and it didn't work out. But ultimately, that's for a new audience, and and I yeah. think that's fantastic. But to the broader question of like where I am and the things that are interesting to me, you know, I think if you if you look back over the really the last five ish shows that I've done, right? Yeah, let's say five shows that I've done. I'm in now the era that I honestly was waiting for, for a very long time where, you know, I think that there's a broad diversity inside of those characters, but they're dealing with themes that are interesting to me at this point in my life. Yeah. And, you know, Dunch the character was an amazing opportunity to just take all the tools in the toolbox and, you know, and test myself to see if I could do that. But then I look at something like, you know, children of a lesser God and, and not just the challenge of being on Broadway for the first time, but learning sign language and going through that entire process and, and, you know, getting invited into a culture that I was totally unaware of or little fires everywhere. You know, the, the, that cultural conversation that we that we all should still be in, but very much in that moment that we were in around, you know, the, the dynamics of class and race and, and how toxic that conversation can be, particularly when we don't actually call it by its name. Or, you know, the, the little piece that I had in When They See Us, which I think is a masterpiece of storytelling. So I'm thankfully, beautifully in this, in the phase of my life that I had been looking forward to for many, many years, where the roles are meatier, because you're not just the cute kid or the boyfriend or the son or the... and and I have the opportunity to like put myself in the way of some great roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I saw a child of a lesser God and I couldn't commend you enough for that. I'm so incredible and such a big challenge uh, for you. Nothing will ever be harder than that. I will tell you right now. Nothing. I don't know how you weren't, how you slept. Like I think it blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Is theater still something you want to do more of in the future? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, whether it's broad, particularly wanted to challenge myself to do a Broadway show. So I feel like I've done that now, but I love the immediacy and the authorship of being on stage, right? So oftentimes as an actor, you know, I give my performance and then really there are many more layers between me and the audience, right? And when you're on stage, after the director gives you the show, that's your performance. And every, every night, every matinee, that's yours and you're responsible for it and to it. And that there's a, there's a, if it's going well, a sense of satisfaction in the immediacy of that. So I love that. But I also love, you know, the, I love long form storytelling. I think it's a beautiful opportunity, especially in the era that we're in now, you know, something like Dr. Death, I would never have been able to achieve that performance in Dr. Death on a more typical or traditional television schedule, right? I had two months to sit in a Dropbox full with a terabyte of information and ask questions and, and, you know, do make stupid choices that I could then undo before they were on camera and go down through that whole process and knew the story. So I could plan for things like, you know, a beginning, middle and end, which is just not how we used to do it. We used to get script by script at a time, sometimes day by day at a time. And it really handcuffs you as an actor in, in the ways in which you can conceive of crafting a character over time, which is the fun of doing something for eight, 10, 12 episodes is like, 
you're not just with me for 120 minutes, right? I get to tell you this story over this very long period of time. So you can see this character really grow and change in significant ways. Yeah, absolutely. Could you see yourself going back to an episodic show and taking on that again? Because it does seem a lot of actors are seeming to go kind of obviously away from that. I mean, a 22 episode is almost insane at this point. Yeah, I mean, never say never, but I can't, I would not, I honestly would miss my wife, my baby. It's just not as a, it was already a difficult schedule as a single man. I can't even conceive of trying to work, you know, 16 hour days for nine months and still pretend like I was making enough space for my baby or let alone my wife. Yeah, absolutely. The answer is probably not, but never say never. The challenge of playing a villain, is that something you enjoyed or that you're excited to kind of get on to not playing a villain again? Playing a well, guy? I mean, my next guy is not a good guy. He's not necessarily a villain, but he's a deeply flawed person. Well, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's deeply flawed. Yeah, so um, yeah he's he he. Yeah, it is not a, a heroic role. So it actually has been a while I guess, you know, like Cole from the affair was noble, but not heroic. And when they see us was, was a functionary, not really a heroic role, even though ultimately he was trying to do something that was noble. So I haven't really played a heroic role in a while. I'm happy to not play somebody as psychologically as intense as Christopher Dunch for a little while, because the, the weight of that was quite intense over the, the course of, of shooting the show. Yeah, I would assume mentally it was quite a challenge. Pretty exhausting, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we want to we wrap up with a couple of fun questions for our for our award circuit podcast. Again. I don't do fun. Sorry, no fun. You're like I refuse to do anything fun. No fun. Uh, <laughs> what is the TV show in history that you wish you were part of? Law, like the way back in the beginning, Law and Order. Or, but I was actually on it. Just a name drop here, The Simpsons. But I did a character on The Simpsons way, way, way back when. So I guess I lived my again. own. Dream. That's so fun. You should do yeah. that again. <laughs> and we're on the new Law and Order. The question that people ask you the most. I don't know. Question that people ask me the most. It shouldn't stump me, but I guess most recently it's are you coming? Are you going to be on the next season of Mighty Ducks? Which I am. What would people be surprised that you watch? A guilty pleasure or a not so guilty pleasure? I know some people just don't want to call them guilty pleasures. Uh, I haven't watched it in a while, but my guilty pleasure in the beginning of the pen, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. What was the show that had all of the British people in like a beautiful place and there was like a dating competition game? Not Bridgerton. No, no. It was a reality TV show. Oh. Like, you know, all these like hot young things in, in swimsuits competing for girlfriends and boyfriends. Love Island. Love Island. Yes. Love Island. So at the beginning of... So the beginning of the pandemic was the end of Jody's pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of couch time. <laughs> <laughs> and we went through like seasons of Love Island. I was deeply invested for a while in Love Island. So that would be my guilty pleasure. That's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> what hobby would you be doing if you didn't have your current job? Well, that depends. Do I have any job in this scenario? <laughs> sure. Like, you have am, I, am I doing something with the resources to be like, gentleman of leisure or am I doing something because yeah I let's see I'd be a mountain climber oh do you do that now? have you done that now yeah huh. or or if I really had if I like had a rich uncle who died and left me a ton of money I would become a like a professional big mountain skier oh a little old for that but yeah daring 
<laughs> what is the one food that you can cook? I'm actually a decent cook. You know, you you single for long enough as a man. If you don't learn how to cook, you're going to die <laughs> or be very lonely. <laughs> uh, let's see. I cooked a very, a really nice bronzino the other day on the grill with limes and ginger from the garden. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Last but not least, besides Dr. Death, what are you rooting for for Emmy season? What show? Uh, well, I kind of feel like Succession should win everything because that was an amazing season of television. And probably shouldn't say this because if I do get nominated, it'll be in the same category. I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot. But Michael Keaton is one of my all-time favorite actors. So I just think in general, he should always win everything. That's Joshua Jackson, star of Dr. Death, now streaming on Peacock. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.